0: in the It has changed dramatically.
1: The feel the biophotonics was just getting started. The first instrument that I bought was a microwave
0: spectral analyzer. It's time to shed light on our universe. This is All Things Photonics, a podcast about the physical science of light. Join us as we explore the latest in lasers, optics, spectroscopy, and microscopy. Each episode, you'll hear from leading voices from across the photonics landscape. We're brought to you by Photonics Media.
2: This is Associate Editor Joel Williams. Here are this week's top stories. ImmerVision has unveiled the JOYCE project, an effort to foster collaboration throughout the computer vision community to develop a robot with human-like perception and beyond. Researchers at the U.S. Department of Energy's Oak Ridge National Laboratory used squeezed light to advance state-of-the-art microscopy. The technique will allow for the investigation of material properties with greater sensitivity than is possible with traditional tools. Researchers at the University of Exeter have developed a method of manipulating light with a synthetic Lorentz force. The technique allows for the creation of tunable artificial magnetic fields that enable photons to mimic the dynamics of charged particles in real magnetic fields. A team at Stanford University is looking to AI and infrared sensing to enhance patient safety and outcomes in smart hospitals and at-home care through a study that looks at 170 scientific papers to gather information on the field of ambient intelligence as it relates to healthcare. And finally, members of the Optical Society have elected McCall Libson, the Eugene Higgins Professor of Electrical Engineering at Columbia University, pioneer in the field of silicon photonics, and our featured guest today as the Society's 2021 Vice President. Up next, Dr. Lipson joins news editor Jake Saltzman as we launch season two of our podcast. I'm Joel Williams, and this is All Things Photonics.
1: Today's episode is sponsored by MKS Instruments. We have you covered with our full portfolio of solutions in the areas of optics, photonics, lasers, vibration control, and precision motion control. Surround the Workpiece is an MKS offering that includes product design and development, system level integration, research and development, system, subsystem, and component selection, and maintenance, repair, and calibration services in the field of laser-based guidance and control for manufacturing processes. For more information about Surround the Workpiece, please visit www.newport.com.
0: Our guest today is a MacArthur Fellow, 2017 recipient of the R.W. Wood Prize from the Optical Society, an elected member of the National Academy of Science, and winner of that organization's Comstock Prize in Physics. She joins us from Columbia University, where she is the Eugene Higgins Professor of Electrical Engineering. Hello, McCall Lipson.
3: Hello, Jake. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you for joining us. I want to start with a question about silicon photonics uh, that takes us back to the start of the 21st century. How would you characterize the state of that industry in the early 2000s?
3: Well, in the early two thousand, it was basically one of many ideas to overcome the microelectronics bottleneck. Uh, it was already clear then that the limitation of computing in general is transferring data from different computing elements and if you try to do it using traditional kind of copper wires you're gonna burn too much power so there was there were many options on how to translate that information to something else that doesn't dissipate power and that can transfer that information so it could be light like fibers uh, which was the silicon photonics. It could be people were thinking at the time of doing it with microwave, with wireless. So it was really kind of a relatively exotic idea, but it picked up extremely fast. I mean, uh, I would say in two, three years, it became kind of on fire because it, became, it was very clear that this was kind of a winning solution.
0: You've said that it was one of the very few areas of any science, much less of photonics, to penetrate industry so quickly. What were some of the seminal breakthrough moments or discoveries uh, that took place to move the field in that direction so quickly?
3: So in the beginning of, uh, so let's say in year 2000, 2001, we had the problem of uh, the fact that silicon does not emit light. And this was considered almost kind of a major bottleneck uh, for this. Uh, people didn't even want to get into silicon photonics because they said, look, silicon doesn't emit light. We need lasers on a chip. And then as we progressed, it uh, started making photonic elements that we, meaning a community, right, started making waveguides and photonic elements that basically did not lose any of the light. I mean, it was extremely low loss. Then it became feasible that, hey, maybe we don't need lasers on a chip. We could have lasers off the chip, kind of just like your battery, just like your power supply. So then we and we went, the whole community went from, okay, we maybe we could do a silicon photonics, but we need a way to couple light into the chip. So that was a major breakthrough that uh, we needed to overcome in order for the field to progress because you have to remember that silicon waveguides, which is a kind of miniaturized fiber, right? that's the equivalent of a fiber, but now on a chip, the size, the cross-section of that is kind of 200 nanometers, 100 nanometers, very, very small, while the fiber, we're talking about 10 microns. So... It's kind of orders of magnitude, so it's very, very difficult to get light from these two different domains. So, coming up with a solution that bridge between these two was extremely important, and that we were able to, to do that in 2003. And then in 2004, we were able to demonstrate that you could actually, on silicon, propagate signals, electrical signals. So you could have ones and zero volts, and you could translate that to yes, light, no light, right? You could you could translate that to photonic domain, basically have a modulator, and that was an extremely important breakthrough because up until then silicon it was assumed basically that silicon is not uh, is not able to to make that translation between electrical to optics because it doesn't have what we call electro optical efficient kind of that optical properties that react to voltage but we still were able to do that and that was kind of these two demonstrations kind of critical for the field to kind of take off
0: these dates you're citing in the grand scheme of of science are not all that far ago, uh, 17 years ago, 15 years ago, and so this move from a largely theoretical field to a practical field enveloped some critically important technologies. At what point in the evolution of optics and silicon photonics did large-scale computing companies begin to seek out these applications, and in many cases, using them in their own manufacturing?
3: Right, right, absolutely. I mean, it's unbelievably satisfying to see Something that is kind of everywhere I turn, I I see people relying on silicon photonic in their industries. Absolutely.
0: Uh, at what point did uh, these large-scale computing companies begin to seek out uh, these applications?
3: So in the so in the beginning of the year two thousand, many computing industries were interested in this, but it was still exotic. Meaning they funded on the side technologies. In academia, it was yeah, it was kind of interesting, a little bit like uh, maybe, maybe even quantum today. You know, a little meh, kind of exotic. But very quickly, already kind of 2006, 2007, it became kind of, they stopped talking to us. (laughs) Uh, And they went dark, right? They they started developing their own, which meant for us that they were really kind of developing their own technologies. And uh, basically every microelectronic industry had their own silicon photonics today it's way way beyond that today is even uh anyone related to not just microelectronics but anyone related to data centers to large scale computing any type of computing in general transferring of data has a foot in in silicon photonic industry
0: I have to suspect that whenever you're working in a new field, whether it's deemed exotic or not, there's a lot of proving it, not just proving the science, but proving your abilities to yourself. Can you talk about that environment for you and what it was like in in some of those early years trying to prove the viability of silicon photonics and express the potential of it?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I uh, especially, you know, in the beginning of the career, you're trying to enter to start and you're not enter to so basically start a new field. Right. And, you know, you're nobody. Right. Nobody. You know, I, I didn't have a track record. I mean, I, I was just starting myself. So it was kind of double proving. Right. Uh, that this is possible. And the skepticism was actually in some ways, uh, founded, because it was based on the fact that silicon itself is, uh, fundamentally, is not necessarily a good optical material. There were other optical materials that were much better. But the key is that we kind of leveraged the silicon microelectronic industry, and that kind of was the, the key to make that successful. The quality of the fabrication was so good that it made it work combined with kind of new physics and so on. So I would say that in the beginning of the career, kind of when I was uh, giving talks, I got used to a lot of skepticism, rolling eyes. But I, I got very, very good advice at the time, which I pass on to young uh, researchers. That So often people will ask me, well, how do you know what to work on? And the key is, really step back and make absolutely sure that you yourself believe in it, truly, that you looked at everything, and it, it, it does make sense, as opposed to being hot, as opposed to being, you know, curiosity. Actually, it does have an impact, and it does make sense. So You yourself have to believe in that. And if if you do, then things will fall into place naturally.
0: We're talking today to Dr. McCall Lipson from Columbia University, speaking about the past, present, and we'll get to the future of silicon photonics. I want to talk to you a little bit about some of the influences and inspirations that continue to guide you. You come from a science-heavy family. Can you talk a little bit about your father and his influence on your work?
3: Yeah. So actually, when I said that I had a good mentor, I had the best mentor in the world. Right? my um, uh, Someone that fundamentally kind of believed in me and had a very, very clear mind and guidance. My father, and he he's a physicist, and actually all our families are physicists. I have a twin sister who is a physicist. and My mother had a degree in, in physics. But my, my father in particular was extremely influential. He loved and still loves physics and kind of revolutionary ideas. He's kind of very courageous. And he influenced me very, very strongly.
0: Another influence uh, may be geography. You've worked and lived and studied on multiple continents and multiple institutions, including in your formative years. Can you talk about how geography plays a role in uh, your work?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think about it often. I was born in Israel. But I grew up in Brazil, and that kind of a combination, I, I feel very fortunate. I actually have very strong connections with both countries. I feel very loyal to both countries. They, they know kind of the optics community in both uh, countries know that they just need to send a, an invitation. I'll be there, and I'll support the community. And I think also, like you say, absolutely different people have different ways of doing science, different kind of tendencies to focus on different things. And these two communities are very different. Israelis, uh, in general, are known to be very innovative, and they have very strong connection with startups and uh, Brazilians uh, tend to focus, uh, at least in the object community, a lot in the uh, fundamental, but also definitely they do have uh, connections to industry. And it's wonderful to work with these two very, very different communities.
0: Is that something that you see even today in your lab, The this influence coming from different angles, different people, and different perspectives?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I strongly believe in the beauty of putting people together that think very differently of yourself, that come from different backgrounds, completely different people. You know, when you have a brainstorming session, I have lots of brainstorming sessions. That's my favorite thing to do in, uh, in the group. I often don't want someone to know very, very well the topics, because I don't want anyone to dominate uh, the, the discussion. I do want to hear from people from very different directions and background. and this is how you actually have come up as a group with innovative ideas, and that only happens if you bring very, uh, uh, very different people. So inclusiveness is, I, in my opinion, is key for good science. It's not about social justice. It's really key for innovation.
0: A moment ago, you mentioned startups and this notion of of a connection to industry. And for you, as this, this idea of light on a chip has advanced, so has your connection to silicon photonics from an industry perspective. How has that, in launching two businesses, enabled you to connect with the field on an industry level?
3: I think that the connection with industries and understanding the demand of industry kept me grounded, and and I think it actually benefited very strongly the the group for many, for very different reasons. I mean, one obvious reason that the students often do want to launch their own startup, but one more, perhaps more importantly, is that I understand what is missing. And then the question is, the most important question that I tell the student to think about is, why is that missing? Is there anything fundamental that is causing whatever we need to not be there? And then try to address that fundamental reason. So that kind of gives me a hint, the the connection with the industry gives me a hint of where to focus our effort, how to identify those big impact ideas
0: speaking with Dr. McCall Lipson about silicon photonics and other topics and other issues. You've mentioned that one of the joys in your career, uh, including at this point currently, is the ability to work on the boundary of basic science, in, in particular basic physics, and trying to overcome some of its fundamentals. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that?
3: Yes, that, that's exactly the kind of, you couldn't put it better in, uh, in terms of what I Love about what I do, I try to often kind of uh, follow the recipe of kind of identifying what is needed technologically wise, right? Uh, what is missing? I don't know. Uh, let's say a specific modulator, a uh, something that kind of is is badly needed in the industry, and then try to step back and ask. Is physics causing this to be challenging? Did people not do it just because there wasn't the demand? That's often not the reason. If there is a demand and it is challenging to do, why fundamentally it is challenging? And identify that reason and maybe even step backwards and ask, is that fundamental reason common to also maybe other area or is very general? to optics in general, not just to silicon photonics. So try to identify those fundamental drivers for uh, technological needs and then try to address them.
0: In a paper released earlier this year, you and a team of researchers were able to successfully demonstrate the first chip scale phased array operating at blue wavelengths. And you used a silicon nitride platform to do it. Can you talk a little bit about what the successful completion of research like this tells you about the ongoing role of silicon in emerging applications?
3: Yes, this is a very good example of applications that we didn't even dream about. Just, I would say, a few years ago, <laughs> but, you know, silicon photonics was really all geared toward Nirayar telecom, maybe a little datacom, and now... People are interested in visible applications, so for medical device, for for displays, for extreme high-resolution metrology and sensing in general, for biological imaging. So there's a lot of demand for visible applications, and silicon photonics enables this kind of mass production, these massively parallel elements that you can have and you can kind of lithographically define. And uh, the properties of an array like that would be basically almost impossible to do it any other way. It has an extremely high uh, numerical aperture, which is basically very, very difficult to to achieve using uh, traditional optical technology. So it's a very good example of bringing silicon photonics to completely different domains.
0: One of these uh, completely different domains, and I, I believe you used terminology to describe it as a little bit, not wacky, but unknown perhaps, uh, one of those technologies and applications is quantum computing. Can you talk a little bit about the role of silicon photonics or silicon
3: as itself in quantum computing? Yes. No, I think that photonics in general is is going to be key for quantum computing, and, and what we need here is now the demands on silicon photonics are becoming extremely high. So we need to solve all kinds of problems that we had before that we, we kind of brushed under the carpet. So, for example, uh, losses that were tolerable for datacom or telecom are not tolerable. These losses are not tolerable for quantum application. That's just one example. Or, for example, switches are badly needed for quantum. Today, the only switches that we can do are basically lossy, and are just not, uh, they might be fast, but they are not uh, appropriate for uh, for quantum application. So I like the fact that it kind of puts new demands for us and we need to think about what is causing those losses and, and where does it come from? That's just one example.
0: With this rise in innovation as that takes off, and, and you've said it, as that happens, the needs of industry increase, not necessarily on a parallel scale. Can you talk about where we might be today and our ability to meet those needs?
3: Yeah, I think the photonic industry is growing in paces that is kind of very hard to to predict, right? If I would know where to go in, in a few years, I would absolutely be doing it myself. But as a leader uh, of a group, that's what uh, you try to do always, is try to be a step ahead and try to understand what is needed. But I think my advice, if you try to predict the, the future, is try to think very big What is uh, what our application of optics in general and then ask what filicofotrons can do for you and, and probably it can solve some of the bottlenecks, absolutely.
0: One of the critically relevant issues or topics that you've discussed frequently in a variety of settings is young women working in or studying the sciences. Do you have any advice for young women uh, who are beginning to pursue or already pursuing a career in the sciences?
3: Yeah, I would say that the the field still remains extremely dominated by basically male-dominated. I do think, though, that the awareness is increasing. Uh, These are uh, younger and younger men, right? (laughs) And they are, the societies basically are working very hard to increase awareness of inclusiveness. And I think as a young woman, if you are aware of the difficulties and you understand that it is not you, don't internalize it, but it is the society, it is our community, and we are growing, we are getting better, but be patient. And definitely don't internalize it. It is, you know, you might have some hurdles, but it is so worth it. It is. I feel unbelievably fortunate. So, yes, we, uh, there, there are still difficulties. There's no question about it. I, unfortunately, I don't think that the world is so different today than it was 20 years ago, but very unfortunately. But it is absolutely worth it.
0: I want to ask a question, and I'll preface it by saying it may be unfair, but I want to ask it anyway. Fifteen years ago, putting light on a chip was considered theoretical at best, if it was being considered at all. In your estimation, what are a couple things in the nanophotonics landscape that we may not be able to fathom today that could very well become reality uh, 20 years, 15 years from now?
3: Okay, Jake, that that's really not fair. <laughs> <laughs> because that's my goal right oh if i could, if i would know i would absolutely be doing it uh but that said i mean i think there are today photonics for quantum for example it is looking more and more real definitely photonics for long range sensing even though we have on chip photonics but using it for lidar applications becoming uh, we're talking about meters away sensing uh, is becoming more real and there are definitely big questions uh, in that to make that reality. And even using photonics for large scale system where now you need high power. We are usually used to think about silicon photonics as low power. I think applications that require high power actually needed and we need to think about uh, how to make that happen on a chip.
0: Speaking with Dr. McCall Lipson, who is the head of the Lipson Nanophotonics Group. He's been kind enough to join us today and talk about all things silicon photonics and a little bit more. I want to end, Dr. Lipson, with a couple questions uh, that we can't really avoid here about the COVID-19 pandemic. How has that situation shed light on the future of communication?
3: That's an excellent question because it brought very clearly brought to light very very clearly the need for communication for high bandwidth communication. It is actually incredible how used to just in a few months we are used to now communicating virtually. So uh, the need for high bandwidth communications, data communications, and communications in general is only growing and that's very good news for photonics.
0: And a follow-up to that, what role will silicon itself play in advancing our communication
3: systems? Silicon photonics is basically the future of uh, of transceiver industry and that is kind of uh, growing exponentially that market and many approaches are now based on those transceivers monolithically integrated with silicon microelectronics. So it's That looks like one of the uh, one of the futures of uh, of communication.
0: Looking back now, 20, 25 years of your work, the field has grown just so much and it continues to grow uh, at great speed. What has that meant for you? Is there a a sense of validation or is it sort of a, a head down work on what's next attitude for you?
3: Oh, no, I don't take it for granted. I feel extremely fortunate. And sometimes I have to pinch myself and say, I can't believe that uh, it actually worked. You know, uh, this whole believing in it uh, and actually making that happen. Absolutely. You know, that's our nature is always to look for the next thing. But I still feel very grateful. Absolutely. There is a sense of uh, uh, accomplishment. Yeah.
0: And one final question before we wrap up. To the extent you're willing to disclose this, uh, can you tell us what you're working on now and and what we might see in the coming months and years?
3: We have now a very large effort on making silicon photonics robust, fundamentally robust to fabrication variations. I mean, one thing that is becoming very clear, uh, one uh, issue with silicon photonics, is that when you actually try to fabricate it, there's a lot of uh, factors that make it pretty challenging, and the actual product that you end up with, the actual device, is pretty different than the one you you design. And that's it's fundamental. It has to do with the high sensitivity, or high dispersion, if you wish, a high sensitivity of the uh, devices to um, talk about atomic layer. And that, these are kind of uh, unavoidable, you know. It's a mechanical statistic. Atoms go everywhere, and you know, if you have one variation, one uh, a few atom variation, it's not really foundry dependent. Is uh, is nature? So we have to now come up with innovative approaches to make our uh, photonics fundamentally robust. Relax those parameters. So instead of trying to make the foundry better, it's. I believe that it is possible for for us as scientists to come up with approaches where the photonics is robust.
0: Our guest has been Dr. McCall Lipson, joining us from Columbia University. She is the head of Lipson Nanophotonics Group. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: For more than 50 years, Photonics Spectra magazine has taken great pride in promoting and fostering dialogue among the scientists, engineers, and end users who develop, commercialize, integrate, and buy photonics products. The magazine evolves as photonics evolves, but our mission is unchanged from that on which we were founded in 1967. Joining me now to speak a little bit about that mission and other relevant topics is Dan McCarthy, a senior editor at Photonics Media and editor of Photonics Spectra magazine. Hi, Dan. Hey, Jake. I mentioned our mission a moment ago, and I want to take its opening line and send it to you for your thoughts. To actively encourage progress and not simply reflect it. We're entering year 54 of publication now for Photonic Spectra. How are we doing that in the magazine?
1: Yeah, the mission you mentioned is actually from the words of Teddy Lauren, our founder, who started this publication as a industry directory. That evolved into an industry trade magazine, and, and that's where we are today. What uh, I think Teddy had in mind when she said those words is that we are not a scientific journal. We're a, an industry trade publication that covers not just the technology, but the business of photonics, And uh, that, as part of that mission, I, I think it's important for us to focus on the collaborative side of the industry. Uh, when we are fostering conversations and we are asking all the right questions and encouraging the right questions to be asked in the industry, I think that we're actually helping the whole industry progress as, as a unit. So that's, uh, that's where we come in. And one of the things
0: that we, we really do take a lot of care in, in maintaining is knowledge of the, the value chain. As that evolves, so too does our understanding of it. Can you talk a little bit about how the value chain is something that is reflected in the magazine?
1: Sure. Like I said, we're not a scientific journal. We are a trade publication. So uh, we do cover a lot of technologies here. We're not a laser publication or an optics publication or an imaging publication or a photonics magazine and uh, knowing the value chain is almost a survival tactic because becoming a subject matter expert in any of those topics is kind of a moving target. So it helps for us to know when we go out to research stories or determine what's gonna be on the editorial calendar to have some idea of who's developing what for whom and why. So if we know what the challenges are, we know better what questions to ask about the solutions. If we understand what solutions people are seeking, we have a better idea of how to vet challenges as they come out.
0: I suspect you'll get into some of the core technology as we cover uh, in this next answer, but I'll ask the question first. We as writers obviously take a lot of pride in having good responses to our work and hearing that people appreciate uh, and like what we're producing. But I think more than that, what we really care about is knowing that we're making a difference in the lives of our readers, uh, be it their personal lives, their work lives, whatever it may be. Uh, What gauge will you use to determine um, the impact that photonic Spectre is having?
1: We're constantly engaging the industry either by you know emails, phone calls, solicited and and contributed article pitches. So we get our feedback through those pathways. What I could tell from uh, if our editorial mission is taking root is that the conversations we have are focused more on value than promotion. People are more able to articulate what the value of what they're doing is, and to whom it's of value, and what some of the trade-offs are. And those are the conversations that they're interested in having with us, as opposed to just trying to sell product. Everybody wants to make money in this industry, but it's really the legitimate value that we provide to each other that determines how well all of us succeed. As we round out a year of really undisputed tumult, uh, I want to look forward
0: to the upcoming year. Can you tell us about some of the things that our readers may have to look forward to in
1: PS? Sure. I think over the years, we've sort of drifted a little bit to the scientific side, and that's fine. We plan on continuing our coverage of cutting-edge science and the universities and elsewhere. But I'd like to focus a little bit more on the application side as a return to form of, of what we were as an industry trade publication. A lot of uh, our readers are not only component suppliers, but they're also system developers, system integrators, and end users in a lot of the vertical end markets that Photonics serves. So. I like to focus just a little bit more on some of the challenges in those sectors and some of the solutions that are helping to solve those challenges. You mentioned those sectors, what are they? Well, Like automotive, packaging, medical, aerospace, or some of the major sectors in which we play defense. Dan's
0: editorial, his debut editorial, is out online and in the September edition of Photonics Spectra. As always, you can read the magazine monthly, as well as its contents on our website,
1: photonics.com. Thanks for joining me, Dan. Thanks, Jake, and congratulations on season two of the podcast. Thank you.
0: That does it for this episode of All Things Photonics. Thank you to our engineer, Alan Shepard, and to Joel Williams with the news. Our featured music is courtesy of betterwithmusic.com. Most of all, thank you, our listeners. As always, you can share your thoughts, pick us ideas, let us know how we're doing. You can reach us at photonics.com. All Things Photonics is available on all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google, as well as on our website. Subscribe. Never miss an episode. I'm Jake Saltzman. This has been a Photonics Media Production.